It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, September 28th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. California residents may see a bump in their bank accounts in the coming days. But with steep prices at the pump seeming determined to settle in and stay a while, many are wondering how much the one-time state refund payment will actually help A closer look on tonight's California report. We've got your local news and weather. Then KVMR's Felton Pruitt speaks with Jennifer Singer, the executive director of Bright Futures for Youth, about the grand opening of the organization's drop-in center for young adults experiencing homelessness. We'll close with a commentary from Grass Valley resident Shirley Frerichs. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. Gas prices remain stubbornly high in California. In fact, over the last week, the average price of a regular gallon of gasoline has jumped more than 40 cents. But help is on the way in the form of a one-time state refund payment. With more, here's the California Report's Saul Gonzalez. After a months-long delay because of negotiations in Sacramento, Californians who qualify for the state's $9.5 billion gas and inflation refund program will start getting their payments in the coming days. Who's eligible? Well, people who resided in California for six months or more in 2020 filed taxes and weren't claimed as dependents. Single tax filers who made more than $250,000 a year don't qualify, nor do families who made half a million in annual earnings. How much will people get? Between $200 and $350 per person, depending on their income. Joint tax filers will get double those amounts, and they can also claim dependents for a maximum payment of $1,050. So, what do motorists think about the help? Well, opinions are mixed. At a filling station in East Los Angeles, where a gallon of regular was going for $5.39, I talked to Josh Avila about the refund program. He was putting $30 worth of gas in his tank. Do you like the idea of getting a check from the state for high gas prices? Hell yeah, why not? Any help I could get. Gas prices have just been so high and it's kind of ridiculous, you know. It's something, man. It's better than nothing. But a few miles away at a gas station in L.A.'s Glacelle Park neighborhood, where a gallon of regular was priced at $6.35, Sam Hartunian was less impressed. not going to help. He's not going to help you? No. Like, everything is so expensive. And I, I don't think that's enough. Eligible Californians will get their refunds either by direct deposit or on a debit card that's mailed to them. Republican legislators say the program doesn't go far enough. They argue a better solution would be to temporarily suspend the state's gas tax, while the price of the pump remains high. For the California Report, I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In San Diego, some Black residents talk about how the city used to be known as Harlem of the West. Now the city is attempting to pay homage and respect that era before the community was devastated by redlining and other racist policies. One way the city is doing that is by empowering one neighborhood as the newly formed San Diego Black Arts and Culture District. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayers speaks to locals about what the designation means for the city and its often overlooked Black communities. Walk into the world-famous Imperial Barbershop and you'll find it chock full of paintings, photographs, and artifacts that pay homage to black history in San Diego and beyond. 
The shop sits in the heart of the recently designated Black Arts and Culture District in a part of town known as Encanto, six miles east of downtown San Diego. We're wanting this community to actually grow, and, and grow, it means art is the foundation of most growth. Tau Baraka is the shop's owner, and the art isn't just inside. Its back parking lot features some of the district's largest art pieces to date. We actually have had artists come out here to paint certain arts about, you know, our expression of, uh, of where, where we're at mentally and culturally. Art in the district comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors, says local artist Kim Phillips P. I've painted a number of murals on this street and in surrounding communities. She was overjoyed when the district became official in June. I was crying, um, tears of joy, of course, and the reason why is just because we see in other communities, like you go to Chicano Park, you immediately know where you are. You feel the sense of culture, you feel the sense of pride, and so that is something that I've always felt we deserve. The new cultural district covers eight blocks along Imperial Avenue, including Marie Whitman Memorial Park. That same part of town once hosted summertime street fairs. And just everybody would come out here in this wonderful weather in America's favorite city and just enjoy each other. This park became the staple of that, and we want to bring that back. That's Dehan Blevins, CEO of the nonprofit arts organization Urban Warriors. So if we don't do this on purpose, create an epicenter to where people can come in a common ground and see people who look like them, see hair that looks like this, hear music that speaks of us, you can kind of forget who you are. The Arts District is part of San Diego City Council District 4, represented by Councilmember Monica Montgomery Stepp. This is the district that historically has housed the African-American community in San Diego. This is the district that experienced the redlining. You know, this is the district where we formed community. The designation means funding to improve storefronts, enhance landscaping, and support small black-owned businesses, as well as adding freeway signage. Gaidi Finney is the executive director of the San Diego African American Museum of Fine Art. A lot of times when people come to San Diego, they wonder where the black community is. I mean, many people have that problem. So having an area that we designate and we develop gives us that designation for people to have, you know, be proud of the area. Phillips P. plans to provide her voice and vision for the district's evolution. A little bit of everything from storefront improvement, I'd like to see infrastructure changes as far as driving down Imperial, beautification when it comes to just the landscaping, trees, definitely more murals, but we just want to see love poured into the area. Back at the world-famous Imperial Barbershop, Baraka says he's already starting to see the community's economic growth and is looking forward to the healing that this designation can bring. You have to have a culture to build a community or it will always be a hood, you know? So the cultural part of it has to come, whether it's art, whether it's uh, sports, whether it has to be something there that people can grab a hold to. And I believe art is like the uh, universal message for bringing people together. Right now, art is bringing people together at Marie Whitman Memorial Park on the last weekend of each month. The park will be one of the first places in the district to see upgrades. For the California Report, I'm Jacob Ayer in San Diego. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California, where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, September 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Let's take a look at today's local news. The Union of Grass Valley reports a kayaker who originally went missing while out on Scotts Flat Reservoir on May 31st was discovered dead on the reservoir shore last week. According to a statement given by Brenda Neff, her husband Michael Neff, was found deceased on Monday, September 19th. The Nevada County Sheriff's Department couldn't immediately confirm that the remains discovered last week were those of the 56-year-old man. However, they did say that a body was found on the shores of the reservoir about that time. Nevada County Sheriff's Lieutenant Sean Scales says the department generally employs DNA analysis, dental records, or fingerprints to identify a body when it's passed a certain state of decomposition. And after speaking with the coroner today, the Nevada County Sheriff's Department confirmed that the body found was that of Neff's. Neff was last seen alive near a kayak, around the dock and boat launching area along the Highway 20 side of Scotts Flat Reservoir, during the evening of Tuesday, May 31st. Mutual aid from both Butte and Yuba County's boat patrols was utilized in discovery efforts, and the Nevada County Search and Rescue Team canvassed the reservoir's shoreline. Boats used sonar-type equipment as they traversed the area near the main boat launch and campgrounds, but came up empty-handed in their search. At Tuesday's Board of Supervisors meeting, Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services brought forward several wildfire planning and mitigation projects for approval, including three new large-scale community defense zones. Nevada County OES says that because 92% of Nevada County residents live in high to very high fire hazard severity zones, the effort to protect against loss of life and property must be year-round. At the meeting, Fire Safe Council of Nevada County presented with OES on the South County Shaded Fuel Break, a 339-acre project for 226 privately owned parcels near Alta Sierra. Supervisors also accepted CAL FIRE grant funds for the Woodpecker Ravine Shaded Fuel Break, a 410-acre project that will treat private property along key evacuation routes, including Rattlesnake, Lower Colfax, and Mount Olive Roads. Quote, Evacuation safety is our number one priority. These shaded fuel breaks help get residents out and first responders in to fight a fire. More fuel reduction projects around protection of communities are a priority for the Nevada Yuba Placer Unit, says CAL FIRE Nevada Yuba Placer Unit Chief Brian Estes. Connecting Point is hosting a free COVID-19 vaccine and booster event Thursday, September 29th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. First and second doses of Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson vaccines will be available, along with updated boosters. Pediatric doses for six months and up are also available. The event will be held at 208 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. Connecting Point says walk-ins are welcome, although appointments are strongly encouraged. Turning our attention to your forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from purpleair.com. Warm and dry weather continues this week. For those in Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 54. Thursday, sunny with a high near 78. Today's air quality is good with an AQI average around 24. 
In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 43. Thursday, sunny with a high near 69. Winds from 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. The current air quality is good with an AQI average under 25. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 59. Thursday, partly sunny with a high near 85. Current air quality is good with an AQI under 25. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Climb the stairs to the second floor of the Lytton Building in Grass Valley on Thursday, September 29th, and there you'll find a brand new youth drop-in navigation center. The center promises a range of free services for the community's homeless youth and young adult population. From clothing and -and grab-and-go food to ensuring access to healthcare services and counseling, KVMR's Felton Pruitt has the details. We're talking with Jennifer Singer. She's the executive director of Bright Futures for Youth, and they have a drop-in center opening up. It's for young adults experiencing homelessness, and you've got an open house coming up. We are very excited to open our drop-in center. We had been serving clients, of course, for years, and we're having our grand opening this Thursday, the 29th, from 10 to 12, where we invite the community to come on over, see what we're up to, learn more about the drop-in center, and more about the needs of youth experiencing homelessness in our community. Where is the drop-in center? So the drop-in center is located at 200 Lytton Drive. It's uh, just up above Briar Patch. And it is where we have also located uh, Bright Futures for Youth and the Friendship Club have our programs operating out of that building. And so it's a nice opportunity to all be together under one roof. This has been going on for a long time in our community. I think, did it start out as NEO? Actually, Bright Futures for Youth represents the merger between the Friendship Club, which has been serving our community since 1995, and NEO, who has been serving our community since 2008. We took advantage of the pandemic to come together and assess how we could better serve our community and the youth of our community uh, by joining forces. And so we did complete that merger at the end of 2020, and now we are Bright Futures for Youth. So the Friendship Club is still a program under, under that organization, as well as the NEO Youth Center and the SAFE program, which is this program that we're opening on Thursday. So if a young adult were to stop on by, what kind of services are you offering? So for young people experiencing homelessness, uh, they may be couch surfing, they may be housing insecure. There's an opportunity for them to come on by, access services through uh, access case management. They can get a hot meal if they need or take a food pantry bag away. They can do some laundry. They can charge their devices. They can make connections with other youth in similar situations. So it's really a safe, supervised space where youth can come and get direct service um, and access to resources that they need. How big a space is it? How many people can you hold at one time? We have about three case managers currently operating out of that space and then kind of a cozy hangout space where youth can gather. So, you know, probably 10 at most at any one time um, in this particular part of it. We're excited that within the next year or so, we will also open the NEO Youth Center, which will be located just below the drop-in center, and that will provide further recreational and enrichment activities for, for youth. What are the hours that it will be open? 
The drop-in center uh, will be open for drop-in from 2 to 6 on Mondays and Wednesdays and 11 to 3 Tuesdays and Thursdays. But youth can also schedule an appointment with a case manager at any time by giving us a call at 265-4311. And I imagine there's a website people can go to find out all sorts of information. Absolutely. So you can go to bffyouth.org and click on the SAFE program to learn more about details. And then we've got the open house. That's this Thursday. What do you got planned for that? So it's going to be fairly casual. We um, really want people to be able to come in and drop by, see what's going on. We do have some fund a need opportunities. So if people would like to help us, you know, outfit things like furniture and games and, and things like that for youth, those are going to be some opportunities. But really, it's kind of a celebration of some long, hard work and recognition of work that's been going on here in our community since 2019. We do know that Assemblywoman Megan Dolly will also be present along with other county officials. So excited to just kind of open up our space to our community and those who've supported us along the way as we've grown this program over the last four years. Anything else you want folks to know? Just that we're really excited to open this. It has been a need in our community that's gone under the radar for far too long. And we're very proud to partner with many community organizations in Nevada County and even the state of California to bring these services to our rural community. We're really excited to have this opportunity. There are not many drop-in centers or navigation centers, especially directed at youth. And so we're proud to be able to offer this uh, service to our community. So the open house is this Thursday from 10 to noon. Give the address one more time. Yeah, 200 Lytton Drive, just right at the top of the hill. Go past the Briar Patch and keep going. Um, it is the Lytton Building. It's, you know, for some of you who may think, oh, it's that weird building at the top that looks like a hospital. You are in the right place. We've been talking with Jennifer Singer, the Executive Director of Bright Futures for you. Thanks for what you do. Thank you so much. Has Trash Day come and gone only to leave you with bins still overflowing? When waste management does empty them, it seems they've been dumping both trash and recycling in the same truck. Grass Valley resident Shirley Frerichs mulls things over in today's commentary. Well, okay, waste management is in the doghouse again. They've not been able to pick up according to schedule for a few weeks. Part of this because they have a serious shortage of drivers. Unfortunately for now, they need to put both trash and recyclables in the same truck, sometimes, not always, since they do not have enough trucks to service both separately in one week. I've heard people say that they hear waste management doesn't recycle at all. Well, that's only partially true, not really. (laughs) Their intention is to recycle all of what we put in our blue bins. However, extenuating circumstances often do not allow that to happen. The first one is something we, the customers, can do something about. Liquid left in a bottle or food in a jar and not rinsed out are considered contamination. This means the material cannot be sold and reprocessed. And that's the key to successful recycling. Reprocessors need it clean and dry so they can make the nurdles that become new post-consumer waste items. Because China stopped taking our plastic waste quite suddenly, most states, including California, did not have enough reprocessing facilities to take it. So nowhere to send it. So it has to go to landfill. Bottom line, a lack of commitment to cleaning out jars and other packaging equates to us contributing to the toxic methane polluting the air. And that's part of the global warming problem that's led to climate change. Some of us do have great recycling ethics. Bravo and thank you. 
Please talk to your friends and to your kids and grandkids. Help them understand this cyclical systemic situation. Do you know that our Nevada Union High School does not recycle? Why? I'm told they removed it when they removed most of the bins because there were too much contamination in what the students put in there, and they don't have time to sort it. So all that otherwise recyclable stuff goes to landfill, along with the trash. Can you even imagine how much material that would amount to over time? Is the school teaching about importance of recycling in the light of circular economy principles to reuse as much of our natural resources as possible? Those resources are finite, and there may not be enough to go around as world population hits 8 billion and growing. There's indeed a hitch in the state's ambitious transition to a zero-waste goal. The laws set the incentives and timelines to get all parties to start the process toward the goal. Sorry to say, it takes years. In the meantime, it's important for you and me to make our recycles clean and dry so that most of the stuff can be reprocessed. Also, reducing our consumption is of utmost importance. How much stuff do you buy that never gets used? Hard not to when the stores are seducing us to buy bigger and more in each box of everything. How much of that is encased in a single-use plastic container that most often cannot be recycled? So California has a mandate as of January 2021 to divert up to 75% of our trash from landfills to reduce the potent methane gases. At the moment, Nevada County is at about 40% diversion. We may not need to get to 75 since it's an average goal across the state, but we definitely need to do better. Next year, we'll start to divert food waste and organics from the landfill, and that will help. People start learning the value of composting. That will also help. So you see, there's a lot to this problem of trash. No simple one-stroke answers. You and I have our roles to play to make it better. Waste management is doing its part. And okay, it could be better in some ways. And there are people looking at this and trying to help make it better. Thank you for doing your part to reduce the stuff that reduces the trash problem, which reduces the methane from landfills, which reduces greenhouse gases, which together reduces climate change overall. Together, and only together, we can make this whole recycling thing work a lot better. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, September 28th. Visit us online at kvmr.org and on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and Briar Patch Food Co-op, featuring an in-house deli, bakery, sustainable meat department, and certified organic produce from local farms. Now with curbside pickup at 290 Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley online at briarpatch.coop and the California Department of Public Health and Vaccinate All 58, holding a mobile vaccine clinic at Connecting Point at 208 Sutton Way, Grass Valley, this Thursday, September 29th from 10 to 4 p.m., informing listeners that COVID-19 vaccinations and boosters protect families and the community. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.